0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Central Virginia Sport Performance Podcast. As always, I'm your host Jay DeMeo, and today I am really excited. We are going to sit down with Carl Shep Shepherd, uh, a performance coach who's got a really awesome, daunting, unique position and uh, challenge in front of him. Shep is building out and researching and evolving the physical preparation for the space force and shep i am stoked to get into the weeds of this today man this is going to be a lot of fun thanks for spending some time with us today
1: yeah uh i'm really humbled to have been invited to participate in this it's uh it's good to be able to be in a forum and talk to colleagues about what we're doing. Uh, This has been the Space Force human performance effort has been underway for three years now. And there's been a lot of public misperception. Um, Some of that's our fault. (laughs) And so, again, uh, I'm always happy to be able to have the opportunity to get on, talk to some colleagues and, and, uh, and, as you said, dig into the weeds and maybe hopefully illuminate the terrain that Space Force is in right now a little bit better for the audience. So thank you.
0: Yeah. So listen, before we dive into too much of the weeds here with, you know, what we were talking about earlier in the process of researching and evolving and building these prescriptions out, you know, just uh, let's let everybody that's listening know like you know, who is Shep and and how did you get into the Space Force?
1: Well, you know, I I started out in the Army. Uh, I'm a soldier and um, I started out as a medic. I went to the physical therapy course. I had the great opportunity to get involved with Army and Armed Forces sports and then the Army World Class Athlete Program. And so I spent about seven years doing strength conditioning and sports medicine care uh, for a host of military athletes in a variety of disciplines from all the different services. Um, the World Class Athlete Program, if the audience doesn't know, is Um, Each branch of service has a world-class athlete program. They are trying to place military athletes on the national team and eventually on the Olympic teams. Um, A lot of that's PR. It's a great recruiting tool. Uh, It's also good for morale inside the service itself. Uh, After that, um, I was on the Army powerlifting team for a few years. Uh, I liked powerlifting a heck of a lot more than it liked me. (laughs) Uh, I got a little beat up, um, was getting remarried, get out of the Army, I ended up going Uh, to PA school at East Carolina University for a few years, Uh, worked in Fort Bragg and Cape Fear Valley Hospital System for a while, spent some time in academia. So I taught at American University in DC, ended up at University of Louisville for a little while, teaching in the health and sports sciences department there, Um, directed a few tactical strength conditioning programs. I worked in the Army wellness center. Um, All this time, my wife was still active duty serving as an army nurse corps officer she was retiring in 2019. Our goal was always to come back here to Colorado Springs, which is home, which is where I am now. Um, There was a job opening for a health promotion and fitness chief for what was then Air Force Space Command. Uh, I wasn't super excited about getting into health promotions, um, but the person that hired me was the Space Command Aerospace Medicine Chief, and he and I were having a conversation. This is May or June of 2019, and he's Saying, you know, I I think this Space Force thing might actually happen. And we were kind of chuckling about a little bit. And he said, but seriously, if you do, you might have a chance to be involved in developing physical fitness and human performance for a brand new service. Uh, That was all I needed to hear. I took the job, came out in July of 2019. uh, And sure enough, in December, Space Force happened. Uh, It stood up. And two or three months after that, around March, I got sort of shoulder tapped and uh, was put on a small team. There were three of us in the beginning. Um, and we started working on this. The The chief of staff of Space Force at the time was General Jay Raymond. And he asked some very specific questions. Hey, um, are we doing fitness right? Can we do it better? Can we leverage technology? And let's take advantage of this opportunity we have. And we got to work. So that's how I ended up here.
0: A really unique track because it, you, I think nowadays more and more you're, you're... – finding it that people that go into these have have found their way through um like sports so you starting in the military and going to academia i think it's pretty cool because it leads us right into what you're doing now and that is researching how you can provide better for these men and women who are performing these jobs
1: Yeah, I think it's nice to have that perspective, Um, you know, in our profession, strength, conditioning or human performance, uh, whatever we want to call it these days. um, You know, there's an operational mindset where you're coaching, you're in the weeds, you're working with athletes, whether you're running a room at a college in a traditional sense, or you're working in a tactical setting, or maybe you're working with smaller groups or even individuals, and then there is that academic side of it, um, and it also brings up another good point um, that I've talked with some colleagues about before, and that conversation continues. You know, As we find ourselves in more and more um, disadvantageous coach-to-athlete ratios, how important is it for coaches to be educators? Um, that's a, that's a big focus uh, for us as a service. And I, you know, I don't really know if that landscape is changing in the athletic world. Um, but certainly being able to visit the world of academia, I think, I think was beneficial for me, especially in the role I'm in now. So it's a great point you bring up.
0: How important is it for coaches to be educators? I would hope most people would argue that coaches and educators are pretty close to synonymous right because if all we're doing is pointing and grunting and not actually teaching the what's whys, and how's the buy-in isn't ever going to show up especially when you have a unique sort of group and I, i think that you know before we get into the weeds too much about the research you're doing and trying to develop this program let's talk about the athletes, the operators, the young men and women that you get to work with every day, because it's a real unique subset of the military.
1: It it is.
0: Uh, so it, and that
1: that lent itself to providing us the opportunity that we have now. And as and as we talk a little bit more over the next few minutes, that that'll make a little bit more sense when I talk about this opportunity. But. The fact that we are, as you said, we are very unique in terms of a military service. If you came in and watched um what our operational people do, um, I, I think a lot of people would be surprised, whether that's surprised in a good way or not, I don't know. but our we have across the DoD before space Force stood up, every service had essentially a space command because the space capability is absolutely integral to battlefield success. There's just no way to prosecute a modern combat operation without having the space capability. And there's really no way, particularly for the United States to have a robust system of defense and communication without space capability. So every service had their own space command. At this point, and it's taken a few years, we've essentially Um, aggregated all of that capability into our our service and the fact that space was changing from sort of a shared um, terrain into a combatant terrain um, was largely drove you know the administration at the time their their push to create a separate service Um, Particularly in the Air Force, the Air Force Base Command was probably the biggest, uh, most capable, most robust command across the DOD. And, you know, inside of that, the this Air Force Base Command was still beholden to the Department of Air Force. So they had to get their money from the Department of Air Force. They had to ask for things to the Department of the Air Force. Um, having it be its own separate proprietary service, um, I, I think, obviously, I'm biased, was the right way to go um the the subsequent administration felt the same way and so here we are with our separate service um so in a nutshell without rambling on too long our, our people essentially work at computer radar communication consoles um they are all terrestrial operators they all sit and reside on down here on terra firma nobody's floating in space at least not yet and um they they control um, the operational and combatant equipment that kind of floats around in space, and they prosecute that space mission for the entire Department of Defense. Now,
0: I'm so happy you said not yet. <laughs>
1: I know I, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. So, some <laughs> of that's for you, Jay.
0: I appreciate that. Not I, I know not yet, and we don't have lightsabers yet. Um, and we, <laughs> you know, but who says we won't have it? Who knows. But what's cool, and I thought that the way that you brought it up earlier was like esports and air traffic control mixed together. So, now how do you identify training someone in a world where we're so used to saying, you know, build the base and build the general first and, you know, strength is never a weakness? Well, these men and women like what they're completely different than anything that we would get to work with so this is such a fun challenge to me because it's such a one-off in this world so i guess the first question is how are you identifying what qualities are important or valid to measure and develop and then how are you pushing the envelope to help measure and develop those.
1: Well, measurement is, uh, is a pretty important word. Um, and we talk about metrics and data all the time. Um, so much so that it almost hurts to say those words sometimes, but we, you know, when you look into ND, any entity, um, where there's a t- there's talk about an ROI, some kind of return on investment. Um, people want to see data. And all too often I've seen people gathering up data simply because the data was there and they were able to go and get it. Um, what does it actually mean? Does it actually matter? And in our setting, um, we are in the very beginning stages of just trying to identify, well, what's actually important and how how are we going to measure cognitive performance? And then how are we going to link that up uh, or decide if there is a link between cognitive performance and physical fitness uh, in our population, particularly cardiorespiratory fitness? You know, we don't no one's kicking down doors, nobody's doing close quarters combat, nobody's carrying a load over uneven terrain. And so all of those things that you might see in a tactical setting on what we would call a mission, mission essential task list, I'll just pick on the infantry, um, you know, they have those things, they're called medals, mission essential task lists, and they, it's a little easier for the strength conditioning coach in a tactical setting because they can say, well, you know, it says here you've got to carry a, 35 kilogram load, 12 clicks, so run even train in less than three hours and you've got to move and, uh, under fire and communicate and you've got to be able to clear these obstacles and breach this doorway. And they have these list of things they can do and then they can try to train those. What's interesting is those traditional frontline combat roles have been around forever. And the physical fitness test, as you see it across the DOD, Um, with some subtle changes that are occurring now is essentially the same test that you saw back in the late 70s an episodic appointment-based three event test testing muscular fitness and cardiorespiratory fitness with a timed distance event a one and a half two or three mile run in over 50 years that hasn't changed Um, and in all that time I will tell you that we still don't know what how many pushups the light infantryman has to be able to do to be combat effective and lethal downrange? We don't know. How much can they do they need to be able to squat? We don't know that. how much how fast they need to be able to run a forty, for instance. What is their vertical need? We don't know any of those things. we We don't have a way to link those up um, in a in a predictive manner with those mission mission essential tasks lists. and that that is. There are people working very hard on that. And it is a very, very, very difficult job. We have none of that in Space Force, which leads to the next question. Okay, well, how fit do your people need to be to be effective at the console? We say at the console in Space Force, just to kind of, as a trash can term to identify the operational demands of all of our people. I don't know. But I do know that I need them to be healthy because I need them to show up for work. And if I need them to be healthy, I know that they need to do something that requires purposeful physical activity, something that provides physiologic benefit to them. And that's kind of the very, very basement level foundational thing that is driving what we're doing now. Uh, I hope that made sense, but we hope that's I
0: answered 100%. You and I, okay. I think that. I don't care if you're working in space force in the Marines with the green berets or with the Richmond spider basketball team, we would all love to find these predictive things. You know, if you can jump X high, you're going to score Y points. If you can run a mile in this amount of time, you're going to be, you're in good enough shape to play basketball and you're not going to get injured because of your resilience and your ability to do that. But unfortunately in all these things, there's too much chaos, right? So having that is so hard, but I don't think anyone's going to stop chasing it.
1: No, I hope not. Um, And I, you know, I certainly wasn't trying to disparage um, the pursuit of that methodology. And there are people that are working very hard to try and do just that, to tie in programming and, um, metrics with their ability to predict. Hey, can the explosive ordnance person? Can they get over that wall and approach that um, potential explosive ordnance with their suit on? I mean, those are the kind of things that people are getting after, and I have a lot of respect for that it's very, very difficult work. For us, it's the demands of the spaceport operator all center on cognitive vigilance and acuity. Can they maintain those things over 8- and 12-hour shifts in very dark, cold, buzzing rooms full of electrical equipment in very, very secure areas, um, doing very intense, critical work? And I know there's a Netflix series on Space Force, and everyone loves to joke about the guy crawling out of the basement with Cheeto cheese on his fingertips and all that stuff, but I will tell you that our people do indescribably important extreme work and if the space force mission fails then the marine corps army special forces rangers seal teams navy they are deaf dumb and blind in the water Uh, they every single service relies on what space force does and so we we got to take care of our people
0: yeah and making sure that they're fit and able and ready to go cognitively is challenging because what what what's the one thing we're all told right shep is that these screens wear you out and these screens are bad for everything and this is where they've got to be dialed in locked in ready to go so it's almost like the fun part with me right so we're talking about this and immediately the first thing i think of is a robust aerobic system is going to help you be able to handle more stress be able to calm your heart rate and keep yourself dialed in and under control and recover better and refuel your brain and all those things but then also i'm sitting here thinking like visual acuity like actually like how do your eyes work like can like training and looking at you know tracking and paths with your eyes and like do you does your right eye move as far as your left and focus and things of that nature like the slow the game down guys talk about like there's so much cool unique things that are kind of outside the box thinking for traditional sport that could be really helpful neat and viable in this situation
1: yeah you're, you're quite perceptive because that's those are things that we are we're really starting to talk about more and more and I'll, I'll tell you that I, I I've I'm forming a great partnership with uh, Dr. Joanne Donahue she's at the New York Institute of Technology she's well published she's very involved in their esports team at that university um, and is probably one of if not the leading researcher in esports and esport athletes and what's going on physiologically with them so i think we're we're gonna it's gonna be a symbiotic relationship i hope and then that we're gonna lean very heavily on the things that they're already unearthing there and the research they're doing eye strain being one of the principal ones Um, and then things like bone density loss and dvts oddly enough um, that they see a lot in their population so there's a lot of little things like that that as coaches, you know, we just wouldn't normally think of that. I had a phone call with a, with a coach who's got his own consulting company, and he works a lot with these gamers, not just in the university setting, but in the professional world as well. Which, by the way, is now the number one global revenue-producing sport, surpassing soccer. And I say "sport" and finger quotes, like most people that are probably listening to this, but that's what they're calling it. So. And anyway, I talked to this coach and, you know, I thought we were going to get on the call and talk about sets and reps and loads and recovery and rest, you know, all this traditional stuff. Not at all. Didn't talk about any of that. Um, He talks to his esports people about kind of the digital dosing um, conversation. Like how much time were you on the screen when you were on the screen? How much of that time was on the actual game itself versus these other digital drills that they do on the screen. How much time away from the screen did you spend? What were you doing during that time? Like it's it's a whole different conversation. Oh. And it was really kind of eye-opening to me. Um, that sort of digital screen exposure um, in terms of dosing instead of, you know, loads and reps and sets and that the traditional sort of volume things that we think about in the coaching world.
0: Yeah, it's almost like you need to build up, I don't know if this is the word, but it's almost like you need to build up like a tolerance to the screen in a sense.
1: I, I think there's some of that and I, but I don't know that how well understood those parameters are right now, but I can tell you that they are definitely seeing a lot of eye strain issues and, and hopefully these things won't become permanent for these folks. Uh, there's a 24 year old guy, he's one of the top professional gamers um, and he just quote unquote retired. Um, he's made millions, but it, it's because of digital eye strain, he just can't, you know, he's starting to have strabismus, but his eyes floating around, he's having trouble focusing on things and he just had to kind of walk away at the age of 24. Um, so that, that's a concern for us. You know, our, our folks go into these skiffs, uh, secure compartmented information facilities. They're very, very high, high secure areas. They're in there for a long time. It's dark. They're looking at monitors and screens um and so that that's definitely something we need to start paying attention to um circling back around though to a comment you made earlier about what is our fitness program look like again and I, i think you and i were talking about this before we started the actual podcast you know we're starting at health can we can we get our people healthy um and then as we learn things from there we can refine what we're doing but i our sense is that that's the place where we need to start because they got to be healthy. They got to show up for work. We got to and we got to take care of them. Like we have an ethical and a fiscal responsibility to take care of our our people, and health is the way that we get after that, at least in the beginning.
0: Yeah, and in this sense, it's almost like this would be more of your normal, which they're not, like nine to fiver. Like That's sitting correct. in a room at a screen, like looking at health, not like we're looking at a swimmer or a tennis player or a basketball player, but like is a a general population because of them not climbing walls and doing the other things that soldiers would do.
1: Right. And we, we you know, we have some things that are mandated by the Office of the Secretary of Defense that we have to measure. Um, and that has driven a lot of the fitness, physical fitness testing across the DoD again for the last fifty-some years. And so, how do you test two and a half million people once or twice a year? You know, you've you've got, especially back in the late seventies, you got to find things that are easy to test. What calisthenics, time, distance events. You know, so that's what we did, and we did it for a long time. And those things survived for decades. It is very, very difficult to change policy in the Department of Defense and in an existing service. And because they survived, they've become important. Um, they've become somewhat mythologized in their ability to inform this idea of readiness. And I would argue and still have and still do that push ups and sit ups and a two or three mile run tell me little about a member's ability to do their job downrange and less about their health. So the advancement, the evolution of digital capabilities, especially over the last, I'll say decade, have opened up a whole bunch of opportunity for us in the tactical and the military space in terms of how we get after this. And I think what we've tried to do is identify things, not that are necessarily easy to test, but that are actually important and then come up with new different ways to appraise those things to test those things and the digital capability we have now is uh is plays a big role in that
0: yeah i'm i'm sure that that's a wild battle between like forward thinking and the way it's always been yes
1: Yeah. And, and, and I mentioned general Jay Raymond before he was the first chief of staff for space, the chief of space operations. Um, and he was the, that visionary thinker that said, Hey, we, we have an opportunity here to change, but let's not change just because we can, uh, let's, let's change in a way that's actually effective and means something. And so that, you know, we, we had a lot of respect and admiration for him. And so that, that drove a lot of what we did and still does to this day, um, in how we're getting after fitness and so wearable fitness technology um is a big player in what we're doing.
0: Oh I'm sure and I'm sure that because they're in a such a secure area, I'm also guessing that the wearable they're they're wearing some form of wearable when they're at the console. And <laughs> they're being monitored and tracked and we're making sure that things are good and being able to identify what stresses who and how and where like, and then that's super cool because then you can figure out, you know, like figure out the wrong word. Then you can make the hypotheses of what is, isn't trainable, developable, and if it is even a training thing or is it like being set in extreme environment thing, you know, like we know there's different adaptations to extreme heat exposure, extreme cold exposure. Um, I mean, shoot, the, the it's an extreme for them to be in a dark room in front of screens, right? Not getting sun and vitamin D and all those things to begin with. So there's, yeah, I'm sure that that aspect of it is, Sensational,
1: it is. I started chuckling a little bit because you talked about a wearable device inside the secure area, and uh, you know that, like I said, there were just three of us that started out doing this, and I think, I don't think I know we were we were a little cavalier and a little bit naive uh, when we started out. Um, all we saw was goodness. We didn't really want to pay attention to what might be potential challenges. And when you start wearing uh, any kind of uh, device that has measuring capabilities on it, um, you open up a host of cybersecurity and data privacy issues, especially in the DOD. Um, some of that ends up being sort of catastrophized thinking if you will and so we try to address that and tamp some of that down when and where we can Um, and some of it's totally legitimate and you know that again underestimated it thought we'd have a capability in place and realized that the cybersecurity part of this was something a hurdle that we were just not going to be able to get over in time and so what we've just started. uh, What was just initiated a few weeks ago by Air Force Research Laboratories is what it looks like to be a two-year study period um, where we are inviting people to opt in if they want to be participants, and those participants will be issued a wearable fitness device and participate in a notional research program to assess the efficacy of wearables, what their impact is from a psychological and physiological standpoint on our force, work out a lot of the kinks, so that after this research period is over, we can actually set out writing um, what will end up being the Space Force Human Performance Policy that will absolutely involve wearables. It will move away from this idea of episodic appointment-based physical fitness testing, and, and get after some other metrics as well. And I'll say one more thing, and then I'll, I'll stop talking for a second. But you know, the wearable devices, you know, there's there's hundred and twenty plus uh, data points that come off these wearable devices, even some of the more rudimentary models. Um, and so we had to be very, very careful about saying all of those things will be filtered, and the Space Force is only going to be looking at two pieces of data that come off that during the study. It was a very sensitive issue and still is something that we had to navigate um, and and be very, very careful with. And then we had to be able to defend and justify why we actually needed those two pieces of data and what we're going to do with them.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I bet that is a bit of a challenge. I guess I kind of overlooked that myself. Yeah,
1: and it's, you know, we had to what what device are we gonna use? There's a bunch of different devices out there. Do they meet the national security agency's security requirements to even be considered for use? Um, and there, there are a number of wickets that any kind of device has to get through just to be approved by a base security manager to go inside of any secure area. Um, and even as careful as we've been trying to select a device, uh, there's gonna be a lot of areas where the our guardians, the ones that are participating in the study, aren't going to be able to wear their device at the console. But that's okay. Uh, because what we need them to do is wear it when they're doing things that have some physiologic impact on them, i.e., exercise or moderately vigorous physical activity.
0: Yeah. So then with that in mind and discussing where You know, you're hoping these things can continue to evolve and grow. Where do you see the future of this going, Shep? Like, what do you see this building into? And where do you feel the next big step is for the physical preparation of these operators?
1: So I, for our force, for the Space Force, for our service, I see this ending up being the Space Force instruction for physical fitness, where it is a... Capability that is driven by the use of portable wearable fitness devices. Uh, the components in our physical fitness program are going to look a little bit different than they do for the other services. and uh, We are exploring a couple of other components in our program that the other services don't look at that I th- think will strongly impact the overall health, both, both during service and after service, once they leave the space force. And I it's my strong sense that that's going to how our policy is going to end up looking. And so we will not have a, every six or 12 month test, we will be able to appraise in a very sturdy, robust manner, year long manner, um, the fitness and health of our personnel, again, largely driven by wearable use on a, from a department of defense standpoint, I, I think the writing is on the wall in terms of fitness devices. I think that every service has their eyeball on, trying to use wearables in some form or fashion. The special operations communities, they've been doing it for the last 10 years. Um, they have certain latitudes and leverage and funding and stuff that the regular military doesn't really have. But I, I think everyone's kind of watching what Space Force is doing, what we're doing right now. And so we—and we feel that responsibility so we need to do this study right we need to write our policy out in a way that satisfies the house and senate armed services committee and public perception and if we can do that i think we're going to change the way at least at a baseline level the way the department of defense gets after physical fitness so our program is not going to answer the mail for marine recon forces it's not going to answer the mail for Army Infantry or Navy SEALs or Special Forces or Rangers. Um, But what I do think it can be is a baseline screen for every single service so that they can say at a bare minimum, this is a complete human being. This person is physically robust and resilient, and then let unit leadership go out and train those personnel the way they know they need to train them. And that way... As a headquarters, we can stop being so overly prescriptive and overly confident in our ability to define readiness for units.
0: I love it, man. It's freaking awesome. But it also sounds like a daunting task.
1: It it is. Um, And it's a brand new service with a very, very homogenous low kinetic demand population it's still challenging um you know the other services probably would have already done something like this if it wasn't so doggone hard to change things but it is
0: scariest thing someone can ever tell you though right is it's the way we've always done it
1: yeah there's a, a five monkeys parable um uh, one of my lifelong friends told me several years ago and I I use it all the time. And it's basically a parable about, I don't know why we're doing it that way, but that's the way we've always done it. So
0: yeah, yeah, you're right. No doubt. Well, listen, Chef, this has been an awesome 35 minutes, man. Before we get out of here, is there anywhere on the socials or anything that people can keep in touch with you and reach out if they want to chalk shop or chop things up with you at all?
1: I mean, I, I have a LinkedIn account for whatever that's worth. Um, any anyone can find me and, and reach me on there if they want to chit chat. If they they can go through you, if any anybody that knows you, um, I'd like to have a, a little bit of a a throttle, if you will. Um, but if you want to send people to me that have questions, want to ask things, I will be at the Tactical Strength Conditioning Conference in Las Vegas next this month. Uh, so you can search me out there if any anybody listening is going to be at the TSAC conference. But there, there are a few ways to get a hold of me if you want to ask
0: questions. Awesome. Well, yeah. So find them on LinkedIn, or if you want to shoot a couple of questions in the comments below, go ahead and do that. Shep, thank you so much, man. This is uh, this is some cool stuff, dude. You've got some a lot of fun in this project that you got going here, man. This is pretty rad. I'm stoked for you.
1: Well, I I appreciate the invite and the time, um, and thank you for letting me prattle on about what we've been doing. Um, I love being able to talk to this audience, and I really appreciate you. Thanks, Jay.
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate your time, man. This is fantastic, and we'll be in touch real soon.
1: All right, Jay. Take good care of yourself.
0: Thanks, man. And thank thank you for everything you all do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We'll be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then. All things and topics discussed throughout this show are the viewpoints of those in the conversation only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Space Force, the DOD, or the United States government. We'll see you then.